It's day two of our seven-day session, 31st of October, 2022. And we're going to take up a talk in uh, Subtle Sound, the Zen teachings of Maureen Stewart. Um, The first talk we're going to look at is entitled Session Mind, Universal Mind. It is the illusion of having some separate self that keeps us from finding inner peace. When we gather together for Sishin, what we are doing is melting down this illusion of a separate self, melting down this idea that there is something to be pacified, melting down this idea that there is something to be pacified. I wonder if... um, Maureen Stuart Roshi is thinking here of um, the exchange that happened between Bodhidharma, whose death day we celebrated just a few weeks ago, and his disciple, Hui Ke, who comes begging for teaching to pacify his mind. And then Bodhidharma says, well, bring me that mind. And some time later, we don't know whether it was minutes, hours, days or years Hui Ke comes back and says I have searched for that mind and I cannot find it anywhere and Bodhidharma says I have pacified it for you if we if we can really pay attention we can start to uh, comprehend the uh, insubstantiality of this sense of separation it's actually something we create with our thoughts our habitual ways of reacting to things but the good news is that anything that we, we create we can deconstruct and that's what we're doing in Sishin. We're deconstructing our delusions. Stuart continues what does the word Sishin mean the first character Setsu means to join to collect to receive to transmit to continue and Shin of course means mind or heart heart mind we are not here just to collect our minds This is not just a time for us to receive something, to continue something, to transmit something just for us. It is a time for us to join our minds to the mind of the universe. We are expanding into and realizing this unity of mind with the whole universe. You think of what we're told the baby Buddha said at his birth, taking seven steps. 
Above the heavens, below the heavens, I alone, the honoured one. There's a, there's a cosmologist, um, Brian Swim, who expresses this very clearly. He says, Just as the Milky Way is the universe in the form of a galaxy, and an orchid is the universe in, form of, in the form of a flower, we are the universe in the form of a human. And every time we are drawn to look up into the night sky and reflect on the awesome beauty of the universe, we are actually the universe reflecting on itself. And this changes everything. If there's a, if there's a clear night this week, this Sheen week, I'd encourage people to go outside. Lie down, maybe, on the ground and look up. Actually, it can be quite mind-altering to look down into the universe because, in a sense, we're held by the gravity of the earth and if it weren't for that gravity that 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 strong attractive force we would we would just fly off into space fl- just drop into into space but in fact we are held we're held here on this earth Seshin also means fasting, becoming poor in spirit, letting go of everything, not grasping, not panting after anything, just doing what needs to be done step by step. I think she doesn't mean fasting literally here, um, but fasting in the sense of... um, Refraining from various things that we normally do. It includes eating less, but but not fasting, which can be too much of a distraction and a, um, a not not helpful in Sishin, but definitely not just eating in our habitual manner, but lightly. But then also, I think a very important one now in our time is the fact that we're on a media fast. We're not exposing ourselves to news of all kinds, which can be so disempowering in the way that it's framed. To, to cut down on all the inputs. And when we do this, um, as, as Stuart says, our zazen gets stronger, clearer, more alive, more dynamic every day if we let go of our gaining ideas, 
our judgmental attitudes about whether or not we are doing well. Our habit of it's our, it all comes from our habit of uh, uh, habitually, continually stepping out of whatever we're doing and uh, passing judgment on it. This is our practice. Zen is not some cold, austere, held-back kind of practice. It is full of warmth, full of a loving nature, full of giving to the whole universe. In everything we do, we affect every other being. Sometimes um, I've heard people say that we we uh, we sort of tend to neglect the third of the three treasures, sangha. They're all equally vital: Buddha, our awakened mind, Dharma, the teaching, and sangha, the community. But to to really take refuge in all three, and to uh, recognize that we're uh, we're practicing sangha when we uh, sit together and uh, work on uh, touching our minds together. And to be sure that that, this warmth that, that Stuart talks about is there. Where, where we can come to the practice with, with generosity and patience and kindness for everybody around us and also for ourselves. This um, emphasis on, on warmth um, came to, to Stuart I think it's fair to say through her teacher, Soan Nakagawa Roshi, who was also, as we were saying yesterday, Roshi Kaplow's first teaching and teacher in Japan. And um, in uh, meetings with remarkable women, uh, Stuart um, talks about about Soan, remembers him. Everything was strict, but warm, always warm, always compassionate. Everything. Absolutely everything immersed in compassion. There was nothing that escaped him. Somebody told me about him going to, about going to Rotakuji. This was Soen's temple in Japan for a sashin. The sashin was just for monks, and this poor man's feet were bleeding from running back and forth in their rough straw sandals. He was exhausted and quite discouraged. Soen Rashi came and looked at those sandals with blood on them, and in their place he put soft slippers. Inconspicuous, wonderful attention. He was so aware of each one of us, always, turning every situation, however dark, into some wonderful teaching. 
keeping the feeling of embracing the whole Sangha when he conducted Sishin. You are not just here for yourself alone, but for the sake of all sentient beings, I can hear him saying. Keep your mind pure and warm. Just to be doing that, just step by step, simply step by step, with reverence and a grateful heart. This was that wonderful soan. And just uh, reading this, uh, a memory came back of the, the very first time we were at the centre, Richard, my husband and me. In fact, we, we um, during that, that uh, trip, we, we got married. Roshi Kaplan married us. We'd been living together for some years, but um, now we, we, it was meaningful for us to have a Buddhist wedding. Um, but we came totally ignorant of what that meant, and, and I didn't have any special clothes. I thought I'd be getting married in my robe, and um, we were also supposed to have rings. And it was one of my first experiences of the Sangha grapevine that I mentioned to one person that we didn't have rings and we'd need to go out and buy them. Um, And it seemed like minutes before somebody had offered to take us to the nearby mall to find find, um, wedding bands. And it it just, at the time, it felt like the the never-failing help of the Sangha, this this wonderful responsiveness that is such a a hallmark of um, authentic Zen training. She continues talking about Soen Nakagawa. He turned everything that was parched for me into something that was shining and fresh. Once he had a sashin and somebody became very upset and ran away, it was painful and difficult for all of us. And he turned it into such a compassion for this person. Instead of people being upset for their own egocentric practice, disturbance of their zazen, he turned it into something wonderful. He did extraordinary things in Sishin. He would look out the window and see the moon was shining. Up, he would say, we're all going for a moonwalk. And he would go out and look at the stars. He always said too, don't look to me. Don't hang on me as teacher. Don't attach yourself to me. Look at the universe. Look at these stars. This is this moonlight. Look at the sunrise. At one of his last doksans, Everybody came up the stairs, and there he was, standing on the landing. He turned everybody to the window, and there was the sun rising. He put his hands on the back of our shoulders, and we chanted together, looking at the sunrise. Our teachers are all around us if we just allow ourselves to notice light falling on the wood, a breeze coming through the window, a bird calling, a train passing through.
the conscious mind that we use habitually in everyday life becomes, becomes confused and unstable from time to time. We all know this, and unless we have time to connect with this universal mind, our condition doesn't improve. When we take this time, when we immerse ourselves in sishin after sishin, we find that we are functioning more surely, more clearly, more joyfully, and more energetically in our daily life. And above all, we have a better connection with all human beings with whom we come into contact. As I was saying before, this is really the proof of our practice that we, we anger less quickly, that we are able to respond to people's needs, that we can be free ourselves of, of resentments and, and grudges, And this, this, this process, this, this refinement, this suffering, softening, um, can happen even when we feel like we're really struggling in our practice, that we, we're grappling with a distracted mind, monkey mind. But as long as we're just practicing with our best intention, with our with uh, most sincere energy, then that will be having a profound effect on us. When we first start Sishin, we may be very annoyed by something or by somebody's particular way of being. As the days go on, these likes and dislikes melt down, and by the end of five or seven days, there is no more of that judgmental attitude. We have made a deep connection which has nothing to do with is it good, is it bad, do I like it, don't I like it. It just goes far beyond that. This is what we taste together here in Sishin. We get rid of the self-centered mind, the competitive mind, the proud mind, the gaining or losing mind. We let go of all of it. What, what she doesn't mention here is that, is that these things, um, unless we've had a profound transformation of the mind, do uh, come back after Sishin. Unless we've, we've the Sishin, the, the mind transformation has been thoroughgoing. But they come back weaker, mostly. We can be we can be encouraged by this this weakening of our defilements, and uh, especially we can um, be fortified by that sense of connection that we can have with people after Sishin. I remember talking to Sanya Sensei one time after Sishin, and she she likened our connections to that of um, a forest of trees. And if you look from, from above ground, it seems like there are all these separate trees, maybe with their, their crowns, their branches intermingling a little. 
But if you were to look underground, you would see the roots all intermingling. And we know now that they're also connected by vast webs of mycelium, fungi, that form a kind of um, tree internet, connecting all these these trees, communicating with the other, sharing nutrients and many other things. We human beings can also share nutrients. In a sense, that's what the talks in Sashina are about, the chanting, doxan. During these days, we become really aware of how much we are not being true to ourselves, of what we are carrying around with us, of how much unessential stuff we are holding on to so tightly. This is, this is of course, the other side of, of Sishin, the uncomfortable side of where we start to see this stuff more clearly, see the patterns, especially... It's painful, but necessary. It has to happen if we're to become more conscious. This practice of fearlessly being who we are, precisely the person we naturally are, with no affectation, no pretension, requires a lot of integrity and a lot of humility. If we are true to ourselves in the depths of our being, then we can be true to all other beings. She may be uh, talking here about um, one of the teachings of Master Renzai, the true person of no rank. For, For each of us to become this true person of no rank, incomparable, full of uh, integrity, independent and yet responsive. In um, Meetings with Remarkable Women, she says a little bit more. The true person of no rank the one unlimited true person to be found in each of us. What else are we here to do but but uncover this true person? This true person is neither male nor female, student nor teacher, past, present nor future. It is all in one, one in all. And when this is realized, there is no more worry about not being perfect. We can move freely. Whatever occurs, we freely respond. Freely coming, freely going, freely moving, freely speaking, freely acting. The true person in us is here to awaken to itself. This true person longs to be realized. 
Stuart um, cautions us not to become attached to to Master Rinzai, who gave this teaching, or to our teachers. She says, Our true teacher is your own Zazen. Sitting in this strong, grounded posture allows us to become still, composed. It is this stillness, the deep stillness of the sendo, the difference between inner and outer, motion and rest, is resolved. Alert and present to what is going on, we forget ourselves. Absorbed in just being, we realize that this one mind is not created or owned by anyone's ego. It is a universal wakefulness that every one of us can tap into. As Sashin goes ahead, we feel this more and more. People become more gentle, more alert, more vividly awake, more vividly grateful for such time together. We do, we do go through all kinds of struggles in Sashin, all kinds of dark nights and desolate deserts and steep mountains. But to remember this, this, that how fortunate we are, what good karma we have to be able to spend this week together in this beautiful place, surrounded by trees and birds and other animals. place where we can really connect with ourselves and others and to to if you think if if we are struggling we can can remind ourselves um, and just touch into that that gratitude that we feel for for having a sangha where we can practice the dharma Back to our, our main text. Without any self-conscious effort, we just respond spontaneously to what needs to be done. Every time we think we have achieved something, or that we have understood something, or that we know what all of this means, we just throw it away. During this time together, we are constantly paring down, continually letting go of these opinions, these fixed thoughts for and against. And we are committing ourselves to listening, to accepting whatever comes along, rather than closing up or defending ourselves against it. We are participating in a sashin bath, giving up, letting go, feeling the clarity of what is purifying our minds. traditional to have um, a figure of Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of Prajna Wisdom, on the altar. And um, often, not always, but often he is we, he's holding the sutras in one hand and he's wielding a sword with in his other hand. And this sword is the delusion-cutting sword. 
And that's, that's what I, our practice is too. The breath or the koan, it's a delusion-cutting weapon where we can lop off our thoughts and opinions and beliefs and listen instead instead of holding on to these things to become receptive not defensive then then our, our zazen becomes a bath like a bath purifying refreshing enlivening Every day we chant the Heart Sutra, which in Sanskrit is called the Mahaprajnaparamita Sutra, and in Japanese the Hanya Shingyo. This Heart Sutra is the heart of the matter. It's, it's where the basic teachings behind our practice are expressed. The eternal sacred deed, the endless practice, is the Gyo that we do. Uh, gyo means, means sutra. Maha means great, all, inclusive, nothing left out. Prajna is intuitive wisdom. Everything is sensed with our intuitive wisdom, not just thought out in our heads. Gone, gone, gone to the other shore is paramita. What does this mean? Not going to some other place, but finding nirvana in this very place having a change of heart, seeing things from a cleared-up, fresh perspective. Like that, um, that quote from the, the um, female saint that um, I mentioned in the opening ceremony. Her prayer was, Do not change my circumstances, change me. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land. This very body, the body of Buddha. What is the way? The real way is not difficult. Sozan, Joshu, Nansen, Dogen, Rinzai all say the same thing in different words. The real way is not difficult if we avoid choice and attachment, if we don't try to hold on to things or to fix things into some pattern of our own choosing. He's referencing here um, our affirming faith in mind that we've been chanting every morning. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. We are all seeking true peace of mind, but there are no sidetracks, no quick exits, no solutions from the outside. We cannot sit on the cushion and blame our problems on other people or on society. We have to take full responsibility sitting here. There is a time for social action 
in other words, a time for taking responsibility for society's structures. But it's, it's, Sushin is not the time for that. Sushin is the time for, you could say, um, recharging our spiritual batteries in order to be able to then go and do that work non-violently and without um, resentment or, or attachment or anger. In Sishin, we're focusing on our part in the, the, the catastrophe, we could say. We're trying to get to the root of human beings' problems. And blame is way, the way that we avoid doing that. Each of us has to take full responsibility for this moment. In so many koans, monks come to teachers and ask about the way. What is the way? Shall I search after it? Shall I work hard to get it? Then will I grasp it? If we try to grasp it, we lose it. If we try to say what it is, it's gone. Our need for security binds us and causes us to seek some definition for what Zen is. But this mysterious, unspeakable, indefinable something that we are all experiencing together here cannot be put into a mold. It can't be grasped, it can't be pinned down. A professor came once to see Nyogen Senzaki at one of his floating zendos. Um, Nyogen Senzaki was a very important figure in the early history of, of Zen in America. Um, he was really uh, way before his time in bringing, bringing Zen to, especially to the, um, the west coast of this country. And the, this reference to floating zendos is a reference to the way that um, Nyogen Senzaki uh, sort of operated in a, in a society which was totally ignorant of what um, Zen was. And this is pre-Daisetsu um, Suzuki or, or um, Alan Watts. And he, he wrote about later about this, he said, For 17 years I simply walked many stages of American life, making myself a grass of the field, meditating alone in Golden Gate Park or studying hard in the public library of San Francisco. Wherever I could save money, whenever I could save money, I would hire a hall and give a talk on Buddhism. This started in 1922. I called our meeting place at that time a floating zendo. So, so this professor came interested in Zen um, to um, experience what Nyogen Senzaki had to offer and ready to write down everything he could. Nyogen Senzaki took him to the zendo and the man with his pen and paper ready started to talk about Zen. Senzaki put his fingers to his lips and said, shh, we meditate in silence here. 
Then he took him to the kitchen, and the professor thought, Oh good, now I can talk. Now let's see what they eat in this place. And he began to ask about that. Senzaki said, Shh, we prepare food and eat in silence here. Next, they went to the library, and the professor thought, Oh, all these wonderful books. Surely we can talk now. But Senzaki said, We read in silence here. And as he showed him to the door, the man was still gasping. But what is Zen? You're reminded here of um, <coughs> the importance of uh, silent practice, working in silence as a practice. And also here he highlights the importance of the kitchen as a place of practice. Um, the, th- the three places of silent practice um, traditionally are the zendo, the kitchen, and the bath. So if you have a job um, working in the kitchen, don't imagine that um, you have to finish up your job quickly so that you can go and do practice. No, the, the kitchen is an important vital pace of practice with so many Dharma lessons that can be learned from the process of working with food and serving the food and clearing up the food, washing up everything. It's all just gold in terms of practice. And I I know that many, many people... um, have some of their most important Dharma lessons working in the kitchen. Certainly people who get the responsibility of being head cook um, are especially prone to these great lessons that we have because it's hard. It's hard. There's no let-up. People keep, keep on needing to eat. And it's just one meal after another. It can be feel sometimes a bit like a treadmill. But what could be more vital than keeping people alive so they can practice? And more than just keeping people alive, giving people joy, nourishment, nourishment, aesthetic nourishment as well as is um, the nourishment of the food itself. Making beautiful food that, that uh, people can take delight in. The, the point of this little story about the professor is that as long as he was wanting to, to pin Zen down, he wasn't experiencing Zen. Zen is not about definitions, but about um, action. During Sishin, we are suspended in a place where the only thing to do is to get in touch with the teachings and with ourselves. That's all, very clearly to get in touch. Every day we chant the three refuges, 
I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. There is much talk these days of support systems. We have a wonderful support system, the Buddha, a human being who practiced faithfully and who came to understand the true nature of the universe and of himself, said to all of us, you can do this too. Each and every one of us can do it, without exception. The Dharma is the teaching of our everyday life experience right here. The Sangha is our companionship, our being present for each other. And with our own richness of experience, we come little by little to feel true peace of mind, true contentment of spirit. Each of us is the only one who can know if this is so. Thanks to this practice, I feel I do have some true peace of mind. After all, life and death, health and illness are one. The true face of this universe includes all things in it, good, bad, life, death, health, illness, all of it. There are, so, there are many so-called healers in the world, but healers cannot bring us wholeness. Healers do not heal us. The healing is already here in the wholeness. And the real goal of healing is to help the person in need of healing to be aware of this. In other words, to kind of connect what we need to do is to connect with our own powers of healing, the body's powers of healing. At the deepest level, the so-called sickness, sick person has no sickness. At this level, I am not sick. And there's a footnote saying that um, she had, um, at this, when she gave this talk in 1989, um, she was already um, aware that she had um, metastasized cancer. With deep gratitude to this practice, because of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, because of all of you, because of all of this that we are engaged in together, because of this indefinable, mysteriously unspeakable, marvelous whatever it is, I really do feel this no sickness. When sickness comes upon us, one of the wonderful things that, that happens is that um, bodhisattvas spring up to help and we, we get a chance to really feel and appreciate our interconnectedness how much we rely on each other you cannot take my definition my experience of it as yours, of course. The only reason I tell you of my experience is in the hope that it may encourage you. It is your own life experience that confronts you all the time. How, how often we can experience this quite painfully. Our own life experience that confronts us all the time. We can't run from a mind So the only other option is to turn around 
and face it and to aspire to see it in its wholeness, all of it, including death and sickness, struggle, loss, all of it can't be it can't be pulled apart. She continues, your breath is not breathing because you say breathe. Your heart doesn't beat because you think about it. A power beyond definition is making our hearts beat and making us breathe. This is the reality of our lives. Every single moment we're part of this reality, breathing, speaking, lying down, eating. What is it? How can we open ourselves to it? So, we know why we're here. We're here to get rid of confusion. Each of us must do it. The Buddha said you must be a lamp unto yourself. May our lamps shine out unselfconsciously so that we may continue this wonderful practice for all beings. We'll stop here and recite the four vows.